0: This morning, I begin with a quick review since it's been a number of weeks that we've been in the book of Romans. We're in a section that began with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual act of worship. So we are encouraged to present ourselves to God to be used of him to accomplish his purpose and his will. In order to achieve that end, the way in which we are to present ourselves to the Lord is found in verse 2, that we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Uh, In the presentation of ourselves, we must not be conformed or molded or shaped by the thinking of this world, but rather be transformed through a renewal process of our hearts and minds that are dedicated to accomplishing the will of God as it's denoted to us in his word. Uh, In other words, we are to develop a Christian way of thinking or a Christian worldview. And that Christian worldview or Christian way of thinking is going to be counter-cultural. It's gonna stand in opposition to some of the values and some of the behaviors that are fostered by the culture in which we find ourselves. That's why we're not to be conformed to the image of this world. We are not to be molded uh, we are not to be pressed into certain behaviors. But rather we are to act in a very distinct Christian manner. The uniqueness that is to be found in the Christian faith is not to be external. It's not in our dress. It's not that we adopt a certain color uh, of a dress that we, we wear or a particular kind of dress that we wear. The difference that is to be experienced uh, with the Christian from the world is not an external difference. We're not picking a year of time in history in which we're we're living, but rather there's to be a, a different behavior, a, a different set of values, different conduct, different goals, different desires. Primarily, that we are living our lives to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ by seeking to follow His. Commandments as revealed in his word. There is nowhere in which the distinctiveness of Christians and non-Christians becomes more evident than in responding to one's enemies. Responding to one's enemies... Uh, The world teaches us that we need to get even. The world teaches us that we need to hold fast and not allow people to walk over us or take advantage of us. The word of God teaches us that we are to love our enemies. And so there's a quite distinct difference between the Christian mindset and the mindset of the non-believer. We are given an exhortation in verse 9... It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to that which is good. Our love is not to be feigned, is to be real, sincere. Not just a matter of words, but in reality and in action. We are to hate what is evil, it tells us in verse 9. And in the hating of what is evil, it begins by hating what is evil within our own hearts and minds, that we need to be repulsed, turned off by that which is evil. We want to reject evil wherever it is found, and certainly when it's found in our own hearts and our own minds, we want to reject that kind of evil. Secondly, we want to reject the evil that is found in this world. But the way in which we are to reject that evil that's found in the world is quite ironical for we are told that we are uh, to seek to conquer the evil that's in this world by love. We're to overcome we're to conquer both the evil in our own hearts and minds and the evil that's manifested in the world by doing what is right and good that's defined by love. So our theme this morning is that as Christians, we're to overcome the evil in ourselves and this world by showing a true love for our enemies. The bookends are found in verse nine. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to that which is good, and then the concluding statement of verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. And the intervening verses are all the means by which we overcome evil by doing good. So as we work through this passage this morning, we're going to see that there are a series of positive statements and negative statements of how we're to conduct ourselves and how we are not to conduct ourselves. What we're to do and what we're not to do. The positive statements reflect the Christian thinking. This is what we're to do. The negative, re- st- the negative statements reflect the thinking of this world. How we are not to respond. What we are not to do. So we begin with the first, and that is, we are to overcome the evil in ourselves and others by showing a love for our enemies that is seeking their well-being, not their destruction. We're to overcome the evil in ourselves and others by showing a true love for our enemies that is seeking their well-being, not their destruction. Positively stated, verse 14. We're to seek the spiritual well-being of those who oppose us. Notice verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Those who are... Out to do you harm those that are in opposition to you. Persecution is a very broad word. It can mean everything from being insulted to to being martyred. And every degree in between. Jesus teaches us that our response to our enemies is that we are to pray for them. Matthew 5.44 But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We not only have Jesus' teaching that we are to pray for our enemies, but we have Jesus' example that we are to pray for our enemies as well, even as Jesus hung upon the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, referring to the crowd, referring to the soldiers, referring to all that were gathered at that moment of crucifixion, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That spirit of wanting good to come upon even those that are doing evil. You say, well, that's Jesus, and Jesus lives in a plane far higher than ourselves. Well, that is true, but nonetheless, what Jesus teaches us is to be emulated. It is to be engaged in, it is to be appropriated. We find that Stephen, uh, the first martyr of the church, was being persecuted. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it reads as follows. And they cast him, that is Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who eventually would become Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Referring to those that were persecuting him, concerning those that were stoning him, those that were going to accomplish his death. Among them, Saul. And he's praying for Saul, that God would not hold this sin against them. So we find this example, repeatedly, of praying for the well-being, the spiritual well-being, even of our enemies. That's what we're to do. Negatively, it tells us what we're not to do, at the end of verse 14. And do not curse them. Do not curse them. The world curses those who harm them, both figuratively and literally. The world wants those that bring them hardship to suffer hardship in return. One doesn't have to be around nonbelievers very long before you hear those terrible words come out of a person's mouth that says, God damn you. God damn you. When that person is angered, when that person is upset, when that person feels as though they have been violated in some way, they have been mistreated. And they want that person to be damned. That is the complete opposite of praying for one's enemies to be blessed. That's exactly what's being referred to in verse 14, where it says don't curse them, don't curse them. Not only are we not to pray for their damnation, quite conversely, we're to be praying for their salvation. We are seeking their deliverance. We are seeking their forgiveness. We are seeking their acceptance before God. And so, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves in responding to those that have mistreated us, those that have abused us, do we want to seek their harm or do we want to seek their well-being? Do we want to see them destroyed or do we want to see them saved? Do we want to see them harmed or do we want to see them helped? Our world says that we should see them harmed. We say we should see them helped. Secondly, we are to overcome evil in our own lives and the lives of others by showing consideration to others. Showing consideration to others. Positively stated, what are we to do as believers? Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We are to engage in the joys of, and heartaches of others. We are to respond in an appropriate fashion. We are to rejoice with those that rejoice. Those that have experienced success, we should not be envious of them. We should not deny them. We should not be disgruntled for their success. We should rejoice in their success. We should rejoice in their promotion. We should rejoice in their wealth. We should rejoice in all good things that they are rejoicing in. And we are to weep with those that are weeping, with those that are experiencing misfortune. We are to feel compassion for them. We are to be concerned for them. Mark Twain said, don't tell people your troubles. Half the people don't care. The other half are glad of them. That's the world's view. People are happy to see other people's success. People like to read gossip columns in order to be able to find out the dirt on other people. The world likes to see people fall. The Christian likes to see people stand. There's a world of difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is largely used to convey commiseration, pity, or feelings of sorrow for someone who's experiencing misfortune. This sense is often seen in the category of greeting cards labeled sympathy cards that specialize in messages of support and sorrow for others in a time of need. It is great to show sympathy. But this verse is not talking about sympathy. It's talking about empathy. Empathy is used to refer to the capacity or ability to imagine oneself in the situation of another, experiencing the emotions, ideas, or opinions of that person. It is to truly enter into their joys or their sufferings. It is to rejoice with them, it is to weep with them, it is to identify fully in what others are going through. We are to be moved and participate in the emotions of others, which is found in verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Literally, that word harmony means to be the same as, to have the same experiences that other people have, to be fully engaged in their, their lives. Negatively, what we are not to do, we're not to view ourselves as higher or superior to others. Verse 16, do not be haughty. Do not be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't elevate yourselves above others. We're not to distance ourselves from others. Notice verse 16, the words, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. The world, the non-believer wants to hobnob with the rich, the powerful, the celebrities. They want to be with the in crowd, the people that are popular, the the people that are well-received. That's who they want to hang out with. This says that we are to associate with the lowly, with the humble, with the meek, with the down-and-outers, with the people that aren't readily acceptable. I ask you, when you are in a different environment from the church, when you are... At school, when you are at work, okay? What is your relationship to Christians at that point? Are you ashamed of your Christian friends? Are you ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you hesitate to identify with them? Do you want to associate with a different class of people with different concerns? We're to be friends of those who are outcasts. We live in a culture where the world bullies, abuses, makes fun of, ridicules, mocks, insults, says harsh and cruel things about others, publicly, on Facebook, in school settings, all over the place. That is to be totally out of bounds for the child of God. That is not how we relate to people. We don't bully, we don't insult, we don't mock, we don't put down, we don't ridicule what other people stand for, believe, or think. We treat people with respect. And we share our views with respect. And we associate with people that other people will not associate with. We emotionally identify with them by weeping with them, by rejoicing with them, and we physically identify with them by actually literally being with them. So we invite people to sit at our lunch table when no one else will have them at theirs. We ask them to sit with us on the bus when no one else will sit with that person. We show concern when somebody's been bullied or made fun of by encouraging them and telling them we want to be their friend, we want to help them. And we stand up for them, and we defend them. That countercultural, And that's what we are called to do as believers. And in so doing, we resist the evil. We resist the own evil in our own hearts to participate in those activities, and then we resist the evil that is out there in standing against that which is being promoted. Thirdly, we are to overcome the evil in ourselves and others by showing a true love for our enemies that is manifested in never seeking to retaliate for the wrongs committed against us. Never seeking to retaliate for the wrongs committed against us. Negatively stated, what we are not to do, Romans 12:17, repay no one for evil, for evil. Don't seek to get back. Don't seek to get even. When someone is mistreated, don't mistreat them in return. Not only do we live in a culture and in a society that says get even, We live in a post-Christian era that says, make them pay dearly. Make them pay more than what they have done for you. What they have done to you. There's an interesting verse in the Old Testament that is often taken in the wrong way. And that is that there is to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That often is understood in a very judgmental way. The proper understanding of that verse is fairness and restraint. You should never require more from an individual than what they have done against us in a series of justice, all right? An eye for an eye, not a whole body for an eye. (laughs) A tooth for a tooth. Not a whole body for a tooth. I don't want to go into great lengths this morning, but if you know the story of Dinah and the uh, atrocities that were committed against her, if you remember her brothers went and, uh, in the name of God, uh, encouraged all the people to be circumcised, and they were, and then they go in and they, destroy all the innocent people, and uh, they commit uh, great atrocities, uh, great injustices. I'm going to be talking about justice uh, next week when we start looking at government. Uh, But this morning, the point is that we are to practice restraint. Jesus said, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn to him the left also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And here is the adage, going the extra mile. We all know that seeking to get even with others is not a good way to live. The non believer knows it as well. Look at verse 17. Repay no one for evil, for evil. And then this, but here's the contrary give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. NIV translates this be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. It says that everyone understands. That the right way to live is not one of trying to exact punishment from others. To not justify one's actions based on what has happened to you. I think most children are brought up still with the concept when they hit Johnny and then Johnny hits back and then Bill says to his mommy, when mommy says, why did you hit Johnny? And he says, because he hit me first. Most people will say, well, that's not reason for you to hit back. Says even the world understands that. The world doesn't understand that today That's not the thinking of today. Our President of the United States prides himself on being a counter-puncher. If you do something against me, I'll get you back and I'll get you back worse. And that is pretty much becoming the standard of the land. That is pretty much the way all people are conducting themselves today. You do something to me, look out, I'll get back. And that's the right thing to do. That's the appropriate thing to do. That's standing up. That's being a man. That's not being a man, that's being a thug. It's a lot harder to take it on the chin than it is to strike somebody else's chin. As Christians... We are called upon to live differently than the world. And it's in these areas that so many times we disengage in. We don't think about what is the Christian response. But that's what our text is telling us. That's the form of this basis for our Christian faith. I ask you to remember... Goes back to 2006. It's hard to believe 13 years have passed already. But in 2006, many of you can remember that uh, terrible shooting that took place in that Amish school. Eleven children were shot, five girls were, were killed. Do you remember when those television cameras were on those parents and they were expressing forgiveness and praying for? the individual that took those five lives? And everyone stood in amazement. It made the national news. It was profound. It was such a different and unique response. That is the response as Christians that we are called to make every single day. Not to ridicule, not to mock, not to put down, not to make fun of, not to think up a clever name to embarrass someone, but to treat them with kindness. Positively stated, what are we to do? Verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, now these words, live peaceably with all. There is an old adage that says it takes two to fight. We are to do everything in our power to end feuding, to end wars, to end quarrels, to live at peace with others. When we run into the Hatfields, we are not to be the McCoys. We have choices to make. And we are to try to live at peace with everyone, to try to get along with the people in our school, the people at work. We are not to be divisive. We are to bring people together Now, we can't guarantee that everyone is going to like us. We can't guarantee that everyone is going to get along with us. And we can't even assure that everyone is going to treat us the way that we should. Jesus was sinless, but he hung upon a cross. He was put to death. We are not responsible for the bully that bullies us. And we can't conduct ourselves in such a way that we can guarantee that we'll never be bullied. As long as it lives within us, live peaceably with all men. What it is saying is, but you can choose not to be a bully. You can choose not to act the same way. You can choose not to conduct yourself in the same manner. If somebody spits on you, you don't have to spit back. If somebody calls you a name, you don't have to call them a worse name. If somebody says you're stupid, you don't have to say, well, you're a moron. It can end at the first blow, it can end with the first insult, it can end with the first strike. That's not our world. But it's the Christian faith. That's what it means to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's practical. It's real. And why it takes such effort not to be conformed to this world, because we don't hear it anywhere else, and it's not exemplified for us anywhere else. And we hear so many Christians going along with the flow of what everyone else says and does. That's why we have to renew our minds on a daily basis and say, but what does the scripture teach us about how to respond? Fourthly, we are to overcome the evil in ourselves and others by showing a true love for our enemies that is manifested in leaving the issues of justice in God's hands. Negatively stated, we are not to take matters in our own hands. We're not to be vigilantes. Verse 19, beloved, never... Avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God. Never take justice into your own hands. Never try to make someone pay for the evil that they have done to you. Leave room for God's defense of us. Verse 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God is the judge; we are not. God is the judge. This is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verses thirty-five and thirty-six, where Jesus says, where God says, "Vengeance is mine, and retribution in due time. Their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that through their strength is gone." and there is none remaining bond or free. We are to allow God to defend us. God will exact justice. Next chapter, chapter 13, there's a natural flow because it's going to start talking about justice, the justice of God. And it's going to talk about human government. And what is the role of human government? It is to enforce justice. The the, the human government is supposed to reward evil for evil. Uh, Human government is supposed to hold people accountable for the taking of another person's life. There are laws. There is a judicial system. There is government that God has established to make people pay. That is not the role of the individual citizen. That is not your role. That is not my role. That is the role of God and the role of government under the authority of God. But it's not our role. It's not our role. Positively stated, what are we to do? Verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. This is a quotation of Proverbs 25, 21. Rather than trying to make their life miserable, try to ease their suffering. Rather than take vengeance, do them good. Alleviate some of their hardship. To do good in this way makes the wicked even more accountable for their wickedness. Notice the end of verse 20. For by doing By so doing, you will heap burning coals on their head. What the exact imagery there is, we don't know, but the thought is very clear. That is, the scripture says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's going to be a time of judgment. And if you're treating the evil one kindly, and if you are feeding your enemy when they're hungry, and you're, if you are giving your enemies water when they are thirsty, you are just making it more of a time of judgment when they stand before God. It's not the intent to make their judgment worse, but that's the outcome. Romans 2.4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness, that is being God's kindness, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness has led us to repentance. And our kindness is to lead other people to repentance. It is to show them the reality and the power of our Christian faith. It is to show them a world that is so different from the world that they grew up in and what they know. Relationships that are so different the relationships that they have with other people. They look at this Christian and they say, wow, there really is a difference. Not because they always wear black, but because they treat people so differently. They treat them with respect. They treat them with kindness. They treat them with dignity. They treat all mankind as though they were created in the image of God, because they are. And therefore have value, have worth, have dignity. Not just because of the size of their bank account. Not just because of the measure of their IQ. And not because of the position that they occupy or what benefit they can bring me. But simply because they are a human being created in the image of God that Christ died for. The concluding thought is given to us in the last verse, verse 21, that reads, Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the concluding thought is first of all, conquering evil in our own hearts, in our own minds. The evil is this natural desire due to the fall of wanting to get even with people, of wanting to make people pay for what they have done to us. So the first way we conquer evil is by saying no to our own hearts and our own minds. Of saying I feel that way but I'm not gonna act that way. I don't like the fact that that person has bullied me but I'm not gonna bully them in return. I don't appreciate what they said about me But that doesn't mean I'm going to try to make their life miserable. I don't like all that they stand for, but that doesn't mean I'm totally going to disassociate myself and distance myself from them. I'm going to act the way I know I should act. I'm going to respond the way I know I should respond. Even if everyone around me tells me you're a fool for doing so. That's true in marital relationships. That's true in familial relationships with children and their parents when perhaps their parents have not treated the the child the way they should, but how does that adult child then respond to their parents? Do they still care for them in old age? My father, when he was 10 years old, was put out by the family. Um, They didn't have the money to care for him. Lived in another person's home. He was raised by strangers. Didn't have any relationship with his father. Until my father was 80 years old. My grandfather was 80 years old. He needed somebody to care for him. He came to live with us. My father didn't live with him. But my grandfather lived with my father. For that's what a Christian does. That's how a Christian responds. A Christian forgives. A Christian is compassionate. It's understanding. Rejoices with those that rejoice. Weeps with those that weep. We live a victorious Christian life when we rise above the standard of our community and our culture. And we say, no, I'm not going to live that way. I'm not gonna conduct myself that way. I'm gonna stand up for the underdog. I'm gonna associate with that kid that is ridiculed. I'm gonna make him my friend. I'm gonna make him my buddy. I'm gonna help him. And that's how we conquer the evil in this world. One by one by being an example to others how they should live so that more and more Christian values are taught and understood and appreciated. And maybe someday we'll get back to, once again, saying to Johnny, just because somebody hit you doesn't mean you have to hit them back. Maybe, again, someday we'll pride people in authority that exercise restraint. That don't monocule, that don't ridicule, that don't mock, that don't call names, but instead treats people with respect and just talks about the differences of idea, of differences of opinion, and what's the right way to go forward. To bring unity and not division. That's the call of the scriptures. It's not the call of our society. Therefore, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Let's pray. O oh Lord, help us. Help us to live so differently than that which is emulated in our world. The examples are myriad. Authority is abused in every realm. We live in a world full with heartache and grief, dysfunctional families, abuse, bullying, people being shamed because of how they look, their weight, their age, ganged up upon. Lord, help us to be a different people. Help us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Lord, may our love for you and others be genuine. May it be real. Teach us how to live, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: In closing, we're going to sing together hymn number 333, O To Be Like Thee. And actually, Ben, Rebert, if you could uh, turn the slide to verse 3. I want to read that before we sing it because I think it perfectly summarizes some of the things that uh, pastor talked about. It starts, O To Be Like Thee, lowly in spirit. There it is. So as the screen comes down, hopefully you'll see that. Before we sing it, we want to make sure we're taking to heart some of the things we're saying um, because these are our prayers. Let me just read these words uh, before we actually sing them together. Oh, to be likely, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring, cruel reproaches, willing to suffer, others to save. Let's keep that in mind as we sing. If you go back to the beginning of the song, and everyone stand as we sing this song together in closing. Oh, to be
0: like the blessed Redeemer.